0: Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Hey, I want to say good morning uh, to those of you who are online and hoping, again, Uh, That you will come and join us in person someday soon. Uh, We know it's good for you, good for us to gather together. And I want to say welcome and good morning. I know our Mercy Northeast core team is getting ready for that December 5th launch date. And so we are um, praying with you guys and excited for what's ahead. Uh, Y'all, you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, that's going to be after 1 Corinthians in your New Testament. Just make your way. You'll eventually get there. Um, last week, we finished our series in the Song of Solomon. And it was just, I'm telling you guys, i have like I said last week, so encouraged. I feel like the Lord is doing just a fresh thing in our church. Um, and we spent the whole fall walking through the Song of Solomon, seeing God's view of love. And it's just been really encouraged by the season of renewal that we're in. Next weekend, we're going to begin our Christmas series. It's actually something just a whole season we set aside. We just call it Advent. Uh, that's our really creative branding. Church has been calling it that for a long, long time. Um, we just we celebrate Advent uh, over from the 28th of November all the way through to the coming of Jesus at Christmas, and it's a great time to remember and celebrate uh, the coming of our Lord. And that's what's happening next week. But I intentionally set aside this weekend as like a placeholder, standalone kind of sermon. Just um, as I'm praying over our church, what would the Lord have me? To talk about and I got to thinking as I'm thinking about it, I was like, man, I think one of the reasons the Song of Solomon was so powerful for us is because it kind of directly confronted one of the gods of our day. But when I say the gods of our day, I mean like the little g gods of our day, you know, like those things that are not true gods, they're false gods, but they compete with our affection and attention in such a way that if we're not careful, we wind up worshiping them. And these aren't new to our day. These are the same uh, little g gods. I think there's three of them that are just very rampant and they were in the time of the Bible as well. And that's the gods of power, sex, and money, right? And those three things, if you just set your life on cruise control, What will happen, especially in our world and being just kind of infused by the teaching of the world around us, you'll wind up worshiping one or even all three of those gods. I think what was so good about this fall was that we got to see God's word just kind of go directly on the offensive and show a better way, right? Show a better way when it came to the little G God of sex in our world. But I figure, you know, two months of God getting all up in your personal space, talking about your love life. I wanted to give you guys a break this weekend, okay? So we're going to talk about your money, all right? That's going to be your, uh, your break this weekend over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, uh, for real, y'all, I've just been super convicted. Um, I've preached on money four times in the six and a half years we've been a church, all right? And I was really convicted by the Lord on that as I started thinking about those gods of our day. Jesus talked about it more than heaven or hell combined, So I actually want to confess a little bit to you of what's kind of caused me this hesitation, um, because it's not right, but it has been a reality. And there's a couple of reasons why. One was just honestly fear, and it's because um, I recognize the day that we live in. I recognize even the city that we live in, and I recognize that um, churches and preachers have used the Bible's good teaching on money and manipulated it in order to manipulate people and cause a lot of damage and harm. And my fear is, oh, if I bring it up, well, then it's going to, your defense is just going to go up really hard against the Bible's teaching. Well, that's a terrible, fear is a terrible, like, motivator for leadership, okay? So that's one that I recognize I shouldn't be the way that it is, and it is, um, and confessing it to you and committing to go forward, you know, in confidence in God's word, uh, the second one, honestly, is just a little bit of a um, of distraction. I've given my attention to other things and just allowed us to coast on the generosity of those already giving here. That's lazy preaching. It's probably stifled our church's spiritual maturity, probably stunted our capacity for advancing the gospel as a result. But what I do know, y'all are a gracious church. Um, I've had a couple of people recently come to me and say, Pastor, we love giving. When are you going to preach on generosity again? Um Okay, like that just goes to show how much you guys love Jesus. That's really what's happening there. Um, And like we're going to talk about today, the generosity of Christ is overflowing from your heart into the generosity of the mission here. So I hope you'll forgive me from where I've stayed away from it. I hope you'll receive this message from the Lord. And look, I know so many of you are new here and you've never heard some biblical teaching on generosity that connects the dots of giving straight from the gospel to your heart and then out to God's mission. So, I'm gonna do three things today. First, I am gonna give you a free pass, all right? Second, we're gonna see gospel motivated generosity from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And then I'm gonna put our mission back in front of us, show you where we've come and where we're headed, because I believe the generosity of God's people fuels the mission. I think that's what we see in the passage, okay? But first, the free pass. Some of y'all, it's not just my fear, I mean, it's not just that. Some of y'all are skeptical about a pastor talking about money. It's not just my future reality. So we might as well acknowledge it. You're waiting for the pastor to try and get your money. Okay. So let me say something right here. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want your money. Okay. If that's not what God is after. It's not what I'm after. I'm not preaching this sermon because God's up in heaven, wringing his hands, hoping that today Gary will finally start giving so that the gospel can go forward because he's just been waiting on it all this time. No, my understanding of God is that he is not in need at all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Scripture even tells me that everything I have is just something that he has temporarily given me to manage. It's actually all his anyways. That's my theology coming out in uh, the area of giving. It's, always, it's all his. It always has been, always will be. So he doesn't need my money. Doesn't need your money. That's your free pass. Now, I will challenge you to give your money somewhere. Not for me, though. That's not about me. That's about you. Because giving it away is part of liberating you from its power over you. All right? So the challenge is going to be just give it somewhere. The members of Mercy Church, they give here. Because they believe in the mission that God has given us to make disciples of Jesus who love God, love each other, and love our world. They believe in this vision that we want to see a gospel awakening come to Charlotte and is carried all the way to the ends of the earth. Our members have committed to give to that. But if that's not you, that's fine. I just want you to put the boxing gloves down a little bit and finally hear and consider what the Bible has to say. So let's get into the Bible. 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to try and get us a couple of verses over in chapter 9 as well. But honestly, as I was studying it, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do a whole series on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, but that's not going to come anytime. That's going to come like either late next year or the following. So here's the main idea for today, though. We're going to keep it super simple. The main idea, give like Jesus. All right, give like Jesus. I want this to be something so simple that we can talk about it with kids, even down to like the kindergarten age, okay? What if each of us, our families, our church, try to just give like Jesus, the one that we follow? The Apostle Paul is going to tell us a really cool story about a church who is just coming together, trying to give like Jesus to advance the gospel. And I want to show you from these verses why and how we give like Jesus. Verse 1, y'all ready? Yeah, let's go. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go. All right. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Okay, this is really cool. The church in Jerusalem is in poverty. Okay, back in Jerusalem. They're in poverty. They just got a really dire situation. They're in need of some help. So what Paul's doing is he's going around and taking up a collection from the other churches. And right now, as he's writing this, he's in an area called Macedonia. Think um, Thessalonica and Philippi, if you're familiar with your New Testament. That's where he is as he's writing, okay? And he's so inspired by what they are doing that he's writing it down in this second letter to the Corinthians to try and inspire them to be like these churches. The heart of to give from a place of joy. That's what's happening here. You see this, the grace of God is given to the Macedonians as they give away. So they're giving away and God is giving them grace through their giving away. And that's a whole thing that he's gonna talk about today, okay? The heart, a changed heart, is God's gift to you as you give away. Verse two, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Oh, okay. These young churches y'all they're being severely persecuted for believing the gospel. I'm talking about being butchered in arenas, okay? For believing the gospel. This is not an easy time for them. And Paul doesn't call the time though. He doesn't call the time an affliction. What does he call it? A severe trial brought about by affliction. It's a test Because he knows this moment is an opportunity for the church to flourish. Crisis often creates these kind of tests, don't they? Right? The hardest moments are where we reveal whether or not, man, in this moment, am I really going to trust the Lord right here? It's a little bit easier to trust the Lord when life is easy. At least it's easy to say that we trust the Lord when life is easy. But once it gets really hard, then that starts to come out, starts to reveal it. It's a trial. Not an easy thing, especially depending on what crisis that you're in, man. And I know some of you today, this is really all you need to hear, okay? It's got nothing to do with money at all, but you got a crisis right now, and your instinct is to run away from the Lord. At the same time, this crisis is an opportunity to trust him. I was with a guy Thursday, a group of pastors, and one of them uh, in, in Dallas, and we were talking, and he's, um, I was telling him, just, just thanking him, because he lost his 14-year-old son. His 14-year-old son died um, early this year. And he and his wife had publicly grieved. They knew it was coming for a little while and had publicly grieved it and everything. And I was just thanking him for for doing so. And he said, man, we just want our story to be that even in the ashes, God is still faithful. And y'all, I just don't know of any more affliction than losing a child in this world. I don't know what it is. And to see a guy say, man, God is still faithful, especially faithful, In the ashes. And that's what some of y'all need to hear today. You need to hear that he is still faithful, that you can really trust him even now. And if you trust him, one of the things I want you to know is that you're not alone. Not only is his Holy Spirit with you, his church is with you, he loves you, and you're surrounded by people who can testify that he's faithful and that his strength will sustain you. All right, back to verse two. The idea keeps sticking out as you read it is abundance. That's like the word that seems to be repeated in different ways over and over. Abundant uh, trial, abundant uh, joy, abundant poverty, abundant generosity. They had nothing when you look at their circumstances, and yet they had an abundance of joy. There's um, Lecrae talks about it this way. He "Being broke made me rich." Right? He understood. And if you don't know who that is, that's okay. That's for somebody else. All right. That's what that was for. All right. Um, those who know it, here, you know, go and do. But there is a um, there's this key here in understanding what it means to give like Jesus. First, got to have the joy of knowing Jesus. you got to know him. Giving like Jesus means giving from an abundance of joy in Christ. Y'all, the gospel says we are all alike. We're all sinners. We've incurred a debt in our sin that must be paid. All our best deeds, all our wealth, none of it's going to save us from our sin. Nothing, nothing can pay that debt. We're poor. We can't do enough to earn God's grace Can't do enough to earn his forgiveness. And the gospel says Christ comes and he pays our sin debt for us. So God forgives us. He doesn't just forgive us. He adopts us as his children. So now we who had nothing have been given everything. Everything. The inheritance of the one who owns the world. We've got perfect love poured out on us. We've got eternal security with the father. We've got everything. And that receiving that love, that's what creates joy. That creates joy, an abundant joy of the soul that can sustain you even in the hard trials of afflictions. And Paul says, I want you to see what these crazy Macedonians are up to. All right, see, the formula of their heart is extreme poverty plus joy equals the capacity to give in abundance, in abundance. I may have little, but I will give abundantly of that little to you because my heart has found joy in Christ. And just like he loved me and gave for me, I love you and give for you. We give like Jesus. Verse 3. I can testify, in fact, that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, I can't believe this, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. They, they begged us for the privilege. These poor Christians regarded the request Paul gave them as a, a privilege. Why? A privilege? Not just an obligation, a privilege? Why? Because they saw the moment for what it really was, y'all. It was a chance for them to do for someone else what Christ had done for them. By giving some of themselves away, they were getting to be a blessing to others. They weren't coerced. They did it out of their own accord. They wanted to get in on the privilege of gospel ministry. There's a joy, y'all, giving like Jesus means seeing giving as a privilege, not an obligation. It's a privilege. The privilege, I would say, a privilege of the poor, not an obligation of the rich. <laughs> it's a privilege. I was thinking about this um, yesterday. I was up at the Carolina game. Uh, Carolina, UNC Tar Heels, not South Carolina, for those of you that might be confused. Uh, UNC Tar Heels football game. And I was going to buy a chicken sandwich. They could serve Chick fil A in there, and the lady leans over the counter, and the whole dynamic is set up to intimidate me. I understand this. She's leaning over down, looking at me, and she says, uh, All right, that'll be $9 for my chicken sandwich, okay? And so, um, you know, because what am I gonna do? And then she says, Would you like to add a tip for veterans? who have sacrificed their lives and the lives of their family in order to ensure your freedom? (laughs) Well, you just charged me $9. Can I give three of those dollars, you know, to the... Shouldn't seem to like that. But the point is, what's that that exchange happening there? And then the whole line of people, I wonder if he loves veterans. You know, the whole line of people happening there. What's going on there? It's intimidation, right, designed to coerce giving through the fear of, like, shame and obligation, right, instead of what would be a different way to approach it. It would be to recognize and to, to start talking through the stories And the things that were going to spark my heart out of the joy that I have in knowing and being a part of a family that has military veterans and thinking about my grandfather's funeral where the money that is given to veterans is able to provide an honor guard and really celebrate him and the other family members that I have and, and tap into that side of things and the joy of being a part of that kind of a family. Well, then that's going to change my heart in a whole different way. But no, the intimidation, coercion through fear and obligation Man, a lot of times that's what it feels like. Like you've been in those lines of whether it's the grocery store or wherever else, and it can feel that way. And Paul is saying, no, this church is giving out of a whole different thing. They're getting out of a heart just radically changed by Christ. And now they get to get, they're looking, they're looking for chances to do for others what Christ has done for them. And not just as we as hope, verse five, he says, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord, first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. I am so thankful that this verse is in here because it's the order of things. And this is the order of things for your whole life, not just generosity, all right? The first thing this church did, they opened their hands again to God and said, everything I have is yours. It's all yours. Y'all, as long as you think what you have is yours, I promise any form of generosity is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be duty filled. You're going to be a little bit bitter about it. You might give of your excess, but you'll rarely if ever give as a sacrifice and you'll struggle to find joy in it. But when you give yourself to the Lord, acknowledging everything I have is a gift from him. My talent, my wealth, my time, my friends, my health. That's all God's and when you submit yourself, when you believe the gospel, what you're doing is you're submitting yourself to the authority of God. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. I'm trusting my life to you. He's the head of your life. That right there is why giving is hard. It's because the idea that you are not the supreme authority of your life is hard. <laughs> uh, I'm a shorthand call this lordship. That's the idea that God rules your life. Lordship is hard. I think of um, our college students. They were just challenged just this past week in our last Um, gathering, college ministry gathering of the semester. They were challenged, man. All right, give your summer, that's your time, because college students may not have a lot of money, but they have these summers that are just this unique moment in time where they have a lot of time. And there's a challenge to give their summer on an eight-week ministry training that we call City Project. Learning to think of your summer not as your summer, but as God's summer, and what would he have me to do with his summer? Man, that's tough. And I'm not saying that even means that you definitely do the city project thing. I'm saying you recognize that your time, even like your stuff and your friendships and everything else, it all belongs to His, to him. He's first. Y'all, giving like Jesus means surrendering our will to God's will. It's thinking of the, uh, I was thinking about it this morning. Like the, you know, we're getting ready to do like calendaring and budget for the Shelton family for next year, right? And instead, I used to do this with high school students and I'd tell them your new last name is Jesus if you're a Christian. Right? My name is Spence Jesus. That's Jake Jesus, Crystal Jesus. Like, we're all, G- Jesus is our last name. You know what I mean? And so then when I put down my budget, I'm like, all right, this isn't the Shelton budget. It's the Jesus budget. Not the Shelton calendar. It's the Jesus calendar. What would God have me do with all of this? That's, a t- that's hard. Because you all the thing that, like, the one word, I know, we got a lot of families with little ones right now in our church. The one word you never have to teach that they pick up all by themselves is mine. They get it, don't they? Like I know y'all didn't say, all right, try it again. You didn't get it quite right. Mine. Nope. They get it. They do it just fine, especially if they're not the firstborn. Like the younger ones pick it up real quick. It's, it, it expresses our natural inclination of selfishness. But when you come to realize everything you have is God's, and the best thing for you here on earth will be how you deploy. This is God. our God is so gracious. The, best, the thing that will lead to the most joy for you, Is actually deploying your resources according to his will. Isn't that so kind of him that he would actually use that to create joy for us? Everything starts to change then. The Macedonians recommitted themselves to the Lord again that day and with open hands said, Lord, where do you want to put these resources? An opportunity came open and then they went into action joyfully and abundantly. And Paul says, I want the same for you, Corinthian church. Doesn't mean every opportunity, of course, but it does mean that they were excited and joyful about opportunities to demonstrate the gospel through giving. Keep going. Down to verse 6. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, he's saying, man, there's, I look at you guys and I see the work of God in you, in faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us. Excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this is a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, putting that up to, you know, recognizing what he's seen, I'm testing the genuineness of your love, because he's recognizing, he's talking about this little g-god of money. For you know, oh man, this is, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that... By his poverty, you might become rich. Now we're at the heart, aren't we? This is your key verse. This is verse 9. It's the gospel in a verse. If you're going to give like Jesus, you got to know how Jesus gave. You need to know his grace. He was rich. How? He was with God the Father. He had everything. Right? Yet he became poor. How? Several layers to that one. First, he took on human form. And the human form right now, this side of eternity, let's just say it ain't the glorified, redeemed body that it's going to be one day, right? Not only that, he was born into relative poverty in a lower class in society. I mean, his mom's birthing suite was a dilapidated barn stable, right? Then he became poor as a wandering teacher with nowhere to lay his head. Then he became poor as a falsely convicted criminal as we sing, beaten, mocked, and scorned. Then he became poor in blood. He emptied himself, paying our debt with his blood, dying a humiliating criminal's death on the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him, Hebrews says. What's the joy? It's you and I being reconciled to God the Father. Why? He became poor so that through his poverty, by believing what Christ has done for you, you who had no chance to be reconciled to God the Father on your own, man, you become rich. You receive new life in Christ. Oh, new life in Christ. Forgiveness of your sin. That's wealth. Not just new life here. Not like, have you ever, I don't know, some of you may have experienced this. Um, whenever someone becomes genuinely debt free, they no longer have to give all of their money to someone else. The first paycheck they get after that, man, it feels like you're rich because it's actually yours. Like, that's what... Christ has done for us is set us free from the debt of sin but then given us eternal life. No kind of money in this world can buy that kind of wealth. So what's the response that the Macedonians had that Paul is trying to evoke out of them is giving like Jesus means giving sacrificially. Like he gave. Have you received what Christ gave you? Because if not, giving's going to be an obligation instead of a joy. The secret to joyful giving is that I get the privilege of following the footsteps of my Savior. But if he's only a model, we'll never measure up. We'll give out of guilt. We'll eventually get tired of it. But if we give out of the grace we've received from Christ, he'll not only be our model, but Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be our strength within us. He will actually recalibrate our hearts, and our hearts will change to love what he loves. And so we'll start to give away our money because he doesn't love money. And we'll finally stop loving money. And we'll be a little bit more open-handed with it and give it to what God does love. You can't give. This is the lesson today, guys. You can't give like Jesus until you've received from Jesus. It goes on in the next chapter. In uh, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. What does he mean? Does he mean if you sow a seed of money, you're going to get more money back? No. That's how false teachers will wield this verse. The underlying problem with that whole interpretation and whole hermeneutic is that wouldn't be giving like Jesus. He didn't give to make himself rich. He gave to make us rich. That brought him joy. So we give not to make ourselves rich, but to reap a different kind of harvest. It means if you keep it all for yourself or just give out of your excess, you'll miss so much and what it means to find joy in Christ. Generous people are going to experience gospel joy in abundance. That's what it's saying. A reaping of real wealth. Relationships, contentment, joy, purpose. In fact, the real wealth may be, that may be that he finally crushes your idol of financial wealth so you can live free from the tyranny of chasing the dollar. Verse 7. But in all of this, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly. Or out of compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Yes. Talked about this before when we talk about giving. Um, most of the time at the end of our service, somebody will come up here um, and they will talk about how you can give to Mercy Church, whether it's the box that's in the back of the room or whether it's giving online or whatever else. What if, what if when that happened, y'all just broke out in this crazy cheer, okay? Hey, here are ways to give. And y'all celebrated like LaMelo just did a blind lob to Mason, and he just thunder dunked on Katie's head. And the Spectre Marina just goes nuts, right? What if that's how we responded to give? It would feel a little bit like, this is awkward, a little silly, right? Maybe, maybe, but I'm sitting here thinking, y'all, I hope we will ask the Lord to set our hearts aflame like that when we hear about opportunities to give to the advancement of the gospel, Because that's far more significant and worthy of celebration than a bucket. Y'all, giving like Jesus, the last thing I'll say about it means giving cheerfully. Cheerfully. And that's a little bit of a check our hearts moment, right? The The gospel is such a much better motivator than guilt. I don't want to give out of guilt. It's so exhausting to do that. But because of... What's in here, what we see, um, because of the opportunities we have in front of us and giving out of a place of joy in Christ, I love it. I love asking. I love calling you to give money. I love giving money because I get to get in on God's mission, and I get the grace that comes with walking in these footsteps of Jesus. So if today you got feelings of guilt or shame rising up, the narrative that, man, I should be just doing more, or if it's like anger and resentment rising up, Man, that's a sign of something deeper going on in you, right? So that's not a money problem for you. That's a heart problem. So my prayer today is if that's you, you'll wake up to the call that this is about much, a much more serious matter than money. It's about your soul. Let's like giving like Jesus, like this day that we're talking about this. Be the day, if you decide, man, am I really going to receive in full the love and forgiveness of Jesus for me? Of course. Like, here's what I think. Of course, God would save you, bring you to saving faith on a day we talk about money. That makes sense to me because what he's doing is knocking down the false idol you've been worshiping. But that ain't going to feel great at first. It's not. But I promise you, he's a better God. He's a better God. So respond to him in salvation. Let me close briefly by sharing just kind of where we are, what God is up to here. I believe what we're seeing in this chapter and what we see throughout scripture is God sets up his mission so that the generosity of his people fuels the advancement of his mission. That way we get to get on God's grace in even another way than without it. Y'all, the generosity of God's people, here's what i say, I believe this from all of scripture, I see it here, fuels the advancement of his mission. In other words, we get to receive grace as we give towards others finding grace and joy in Christ. I'll just tell you how far we've gotten uh, with what we've been thinking about for the mission of Mercy Church, how far we've gotten this year. And please remember, this year started with us meeting in the grass on the lawn. That's still the same year, okay? That's 2021. I was preaching in a toboggan outside in late January. I think it was the last weekend in January where I just said, I am done now being outside. (laughs) I will be inside. I would love for you guys to be, you know, it's just the... That's all the same year? <laughs> it was. I say that ago. we had no idea what this year would bring. You know, we talk about helping people take their next steps and following Jesus. In January, we talked about how in order to accomplish our long-range vision of seeing a gospel awakening in Charlotte to the ends of the earth, we needed to take some steps that would help us to, to kind of gear up to be that kind of church and be the church that can do that kind of work. So we said over the next five years, just kind of short term, until December 2025, we could take a little bit of a shorter term window. We wanted to be a maturing, multiplying, multicultural church. Our shorthand for that is we're working on becoming a 3M church. Now, it's not like we're, you know, we're not going to be sponsored by Post-it notes or something. I, know, I recognize it. that's the thing. But that's our shorthand for it if you hear us saying that, right? And that's just because we believe those three things. That just seems to encapsulate. It's nothing magical about those words. Just encapsulate an act, like an accurate living out of what God calls the New Testament church to be about. Here's what we've seen Him do. We've seen, man, when we say next steps, we've seen hundreds of first-time guests. Here at Mercy Church, that's you guys inviting your friends and family members and and saying, hey, you should come and be a part of this thing. We've seen 250 people attend Starting Point this year. That's kind of the first step people take towards belonging here. And over 80 people become members of Mercy Church, which is a little bit more lengthy of a process. We say we want to make disciples, and we've seen dozens of people baptized. Over 470 people in community groups. In fact, we got a new leader interest meeting for community groups, and uh, I think it's December 12th because Y'all, we need to start about 30 more groups ASAP. And here's why I'm showing you the process of discipleship that we have here because we are not trying to just build a big church, okay? What we're trying to do is make disciples of Jesus who love God, love each other, love our world. And in order to do that, if the Lord is going to grow our church, we're going to welcome that. We're going to welcome people who are going to come and use their gifts to build up the body of Christ, who are going to find saving faith in Jesus. But if we're going to grow bigger, we got to grow smaller at the exact same time. All right, by that I mean we got to be in community with one another. we got to be a family together where we know one another and walk alongside one another in life and grow in holiness together. All right, bigger and smaller at the same time. I'm not going to do it if we're just going to sit around and build, whoa, that was like a reinforcement of the point, okay? That's how important this is, apparently. All right, we are going to build together a church that is a family together. We're not just looking to build some sort of big event where we come and just sit for an hour or two or something like that. forget where I am. Oh, we even got, um, speaking of that process, you can kind of see from, you know, first-time guests to being disciple. We've got nine people right now that are considering, they're going through, like, our Next Steps training in um, missionary sending and are thinking about going long-term overseas, um, which is awesome considering, I told you, in January, man, we hope that we can send 10 people by 2025. It's like by the end of this year, there's nine of them ready to go. And I'm like, that's what I get for doing the numbers thing. <laughs> this is why I'm not good at that, okay? Um, speaking of multiplying, and I think this is a tangible way to see how generosity fuels the mission. Man, all right, because of your generosity, we're able to create a church-planting residency without losing momentum in our middle and high school ministry. Here's why those two are connected. Our former now middle and high school uh, director, Alan Wadohio right? He felt called by God to go back home to his home country of Kenya to Nairobi to plant a church there. And y'all, this is what's so cool. We're able to create that position that allows him to plan well to plant that church because we want to be about planting churches and at the same time fill his position with our new student director, Brett Bolden, Who, by the way, was trained in our two-year ministry residency, which because of your generosity, we're able to create a two-year program where people can figure out, man, is God really calling me into ministry? And they can study and learn and be a part of our ministry here for a couple of years. On top of all that, in 2021, we got to send out two of our staff who felt called to plant a house church here in Charlotte. And in the same year, planted a campus of Mercy Church just because we are about multiplying the gospel around here. We saw an opportunity to plant a campus, so we went for it, and in Easter, we launched Mercy Northeast, and they are cheering like crazy right now because they have been through it, and I love you guys so much, and now they're preparing for their grand opening, this is so cool, of a new location on December 5th. Have you heard about this new location? Let me tell you about it, okay? We are partnering with a charter school and being a blessing to them by funding some of the upfit costs. Because of your generosity, we're not just tenants that are paying rent right No. We're partners in bringing the love of Christ to a community there because generosity fuels the mission. Can we just celebrate for a second some of the things that the Lord has been doing through us? Praise God for that. So you hear me say that in year one of what we were hoping this five-year vision would be. I'm like, man, I hope we can plant two churches in five years. That's what I told you in January. And it's going to be like May will be done of next year. And I'm like, i got to stop doing the numbers thing, right? Just trust the Lord with it. So, yes, of course I believe you should give to the ministry here. You ask, well, how much are we supposed to give? Well, That's another sermon, and we're kind of out of time, okay? But let me say this. In the Old Testament, the, um, the people of God were to give their first 10% of the harvest back to God, um, to the temple, as a tithe. And then the priest would use it to care for the people. A way to say, God, this is all yours, and I'm very aware of it, grateful for it. Well, the same requirement's not on us now because we are on this side of the cross and Christ has freed us from the burden of the law. But my question is, do we have more or less to be thankful for here on the New Testament side of the cross? I would say more. So then I would say we view 10% as a floor, not as a ceiling. But I also say to you, if you've never given before, just start somewhere, okay? I really want, I I have been praying through this. I want December, this December, uh, starting just uh, two weeks, yeah, uh, to be like our highest giving month in our six and a half year history, but I'm not gonna set a goal. Not gonna do that, all right? Instead, I just wanna tell you, I'd love for this to be the the year that we gave our largest gift ever to International Missions. Uh, This Christmas. That's money for mercy initiatives like Mercy Nairobi. Uh, It's money to cooperative initiatives like an offering that we collect up with a bunch of other churches. We give something called the um, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's where we give to plant churches internationally. So instead of like just a a number and a special gift or something, here's what we're going to do. A third of everything that you give in December is going to go to international missions. All right? Third of everything that you give. The other two thirds is going to go to ministry development here. So that we can give more people and resources away next year and in the years to come to God's mission. And when you start to catch how essential present discipleship is to future mission, you start to realize that in a church where its heart's in the right place, every dollar's a missions dollar. that's going to cost us some money to to build that pipeline out, though, y'all. We need to expand our family ministry, staff, and support. It's going to help us reach, train, and send the next generation. We need to do some UpFit Road on our Providence Road facility. Y'all, I believe that buildings are just tools, okay? But tools, they shouldn't be flashy, but they should be sharp, all right? And in a, a building that's an older facility, it's got some sharpening that needs to be done to be effective for ministry, all right? Um, and this, like I say, it's an older building. We need to build a launch team for our Union County campus and begin searching for a space there because people are pumped about that. Um, y'all, in all of this, I'm just saying, what if we just... You just give. Again, I'm not going to put a number in front of you because I don't want it to be um, in any way that to be what motivates you. I want it to be what the Lord has done in your heart. And then we can get on the other side of this. And I'm praying that it's just the highest amount of giving that we've ever seen in a month. Because the Lord, for many of you, it's your first time giving and joining in what we're doing here. And for others of you, man, the Lord just convicts. And responding to his conviction is going to bring you joy. All right? That's what my family's going to sit down and do together. Wasn't going to look like for the Shelton family to give like Jesus And we'll look for the rest of us from Mercy Church to give like Jesus as well. All right, y'all, I love you guys. I am grateful to be in this mission with you. I'm grateful, just, I mean, I brag on you and then I have to like watch myself because of how much I'm seeing the grace of the Lord in our church. And I believe, I genuinely believe it's not just cliche, best is yet to come. I believe He is preparing us for more, uh, more mission, more multiplying the gospel in the years ahead as He breaks. Us of these idols and draws us back to himself. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for how good you are to us. God, I pray that one name is celebrated today, and it's the name of Jesus. The hope of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, the steadfastness of Christ, the long suffering of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your great love. I pray for my brothers and sisters who know your grace. And God, you're going to start a work on them when it comes to responding joyfully with their money. God, protect them from the enemy. Protect all of us from where guilt, fear, shame, peer pressure, whatever it is, would cause us to give. No, we want to give in response to your grace and enjoy enjoy of the opportunity to see the gospel go forward. The grace that we have received, we get to be a part of others seeing it. Only in that, Father. Would grace be our motivator? Thank you for your love. Thank you for your love in Christ. As we close out our service, God. I pray that that be what you stir. Afresh our affections for your great love. We pray it in Christ holy name. Amen. Amen. You stand and respond as we sing together.